You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Thank you, thank you. We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8 as we continue in what I'm kind of affectionately calling this a fun summer sermon series because we're taking our sermons from the songs in the movie The Greatest Showman that was shown a few months ago. And my friend Robert Bax from Australia, who preaches here every year, sent me his sermon notes this morning. He's doing a fun sermon summer series on the Incredibles. <laughs> it was great. He sent me all of his notes, and I'm like, oh, man, it's a great idea, you know. So anyway, I'm not the only one. Uh, that's amazing. Who needs a worship God? If you raise your hand, we'll get you one in the balcony. Good to see a good crowd up there. And uh, just anybody that needs a worship God, great. Just keep them up. We'll get them to you. Great. Thank you. Well, we are, uh, we're on the fifth song in the movie. It's called Never Enough. And this song is a, is a very powerful message to it. Uh, some of the words to the song go like this. All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. In fact, in this particular song, 27 times the word never is used, alluding to the fact that, that in this life, it'll, it'll always be more that we desire because of the lust of our flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. We'll always need more. We are astounded by, at times, what we see people receiving in the, as they sign these contracts in the NBA here recently, and, or whatever sport, or just in the world in general. We see all this money and all these things, and yet it seems to never be enough. And so in the movie, we have this man, P.T. Barnum, who begins his life in a very humble way. And as success begins to come his way, he continues to want more. In fact, the song Never Enough was a song that spoke about P.T. Barnum's drive towards endless. And that's a key word there because that's what this life really truly brings is just a desire for endless ambition. He has a relentless pursuit of success. And as you watch the movie unfold, it seems to never be enough for him. In fact, when Jenny Lynn, the girl that sings the song Never Enough in the movie, comes on the scene, she's a very attractive woman with this great voice. She lives in another part of the world. And, and so he goes to that part of the world and talks to her into coming to America to showcase her talent in a way that would draw the rich and the famous. And Mr. Barnum begins to enjoy the rich and the famous and... As he enjoys the rich and the famous, he begins to forget about his family. I don't get that. And yet I do. Even as a minister of the gospel, there have been times where without even recognizing it, I've neglected the ones I loved the most in a relentless pursuit of success. Even if it's ministry. He begins to neglect his family, and you see it unfold, and you see it, and then you begin to kind of not like this girl, because you see her taking him away. And what's incredible about this movie, and again, I'm not trying to read too far to things. That's my wife. She does that. <laughs> my wife, every, she sees a commercial and gives you the spiritual application, you know. But it does seem like that his wife is a picture of Second Peter chapter 3, as she just continues to love him through all of his 
problems, and she just loves him, and she, she seems to always say something nice, even though what he's doing is so wrong. She determines she's going to win him over, not with her conversation, but with just her testimony. It's amazing. It happens the whole entire movie. And as he begins to neglect her and neglect his two beautiful little girls. It's what, in fact, there's one scene in the movie, it's the saddest scene, I think, where the girls are running out to this little carriage that he is going away with Jenny Lynn, who sang the song Never Enough, while his girls are running behind the carriage saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Didn't matter. Because it's never enough. And so she sings this song, and as he begins to to receive all this fame and money and, and her popularity begins to become his benefit, it, it begins to unfold that, that Jenny is really out to ultimately maybe take him from his family and even his wife. She makes a statement in the movie that I think is her, her just unforgettable statement. She said to him at a party that they were enjoying together after one of her concerts, a man's station is only limited by his imagination. And she begins to impress him and woo him with, his, with her words. And, you know, we, there's so much more we could do than just staying in the circus world with these unique, weird people. And he begins to neglect them as well. And you can see on their faces how sad they are that, that he is even neglecting them. And so we've always tried to give a little piece of the movie in, as we introduce the message. And, and so instead of showing you a video, my daughter's going to sing the song, think about the words, the intensity of the moment. And I can promise you... Uh, in just a moment, as we open up God's word, um, there's a powerful message here that goes along with a very powerful, intense song. Never know. Never, 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 
left off a few nevers, but hey, I think we got the picture, amen? Never enough, never enough. Thank you, Chloe. You did great. You did great. Mark 8, 36. Look at it with me for just a moment and we, as we think of our lives. What does it profit a man? Mr. Barnum, I ask you this question. What does it profit if you gain the whole world but you lose your family? What does it profit, Mr. Barnum, if you become more rich, more famous, if you get more, but you lose your wife and you lose your kids? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? But he loses his soul. And then Jesus goes on to say, in order to figure this out, we've got to figure out what does a man want to give in exchange for a soul? What would you exchange your life for? I mean, all of us have a time limit to our lives, and what would we trade our lives for? Is there anything in this life worth giving your life for? Every human soul is of infinite worth. Scripture teaches that every human soul will never cease to exist. God made you, God made me in his own image. You you live in a body, but you you have a soul. Make sense? Let me go to scripture for, for, for the best illustration. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, we, we live in this earthly home called our bodies. Scripture sometimes uses unusual language to, des- to, to, des- to describe something like our bodies, a building, a tent, a house. We, we live in this earthly home, but it's going to be destroyed. Is anybody feeling a little destruction here lately in your bodies? Has anybody felt that as you've gotten older? A few more creaks and cr- I mean, hey, it just happens. I'm not, my, the, outs, the, 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 the body of Erica Pacey is not what it used to be, not what she used to be. But we have a building from God. This is a building that is not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. So we live in our bodies. We have a soul. But the problem with so many people is this. We pamper the body and we neglect the soul. Everybody seems to be finding a way to take care of this body so that it will somehow live forever when Scripture clearly teaches it is not going to live forever. This body is going to be destroyed. And I tend to spend more time concerned about making this body okay and I neglect the most important thing that God's given me and that is my soul. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why am I here? What really is my life amounting to? Ask yourself that question this morning. Why are you here? What is your life amounting to? What would you trade your life for? What would you exchange your 50, 60, 70, 80 years in this life for? Let me ask it this way. If your life were to end today, if this were it, if this were the last day that you were to spend on planet Earth, what could you say that you did? This should be on the screen. What should you say that you've lived successfully for because you've accomplished this one thing? I mean, I've lived my whole life and I look back on my life and as I see it, I, I'm successful because of this. For instance, I'm 53 years of age. I don't know how old 
you are, but I'm 53 and I, I, I still feel young, but I know that uh, I've probably lived more years than I'll actually have. Uh, if I live to be seven more years, I'll reach somewhat of a plateau. It's 60. I mean, for some reason, that seems to be a, an age that you would say, wow, I'm, I'm 60. That's, I've lived a long time. Seven more years is all I've got to reach that plateau of the big six O. And as I think about that, I begin to think about, okay, what, what do I have? You know, how big is my house? Seems to be important to a lot of people. I, I, you know, what kind of house do I have? What kind of cars do I drive? What, what kind of things do I have? How much do I have in retirement? How much money have I stored away, saved away? How much money do I make? And what do I have in this life? And if I'm not careful, I begin to, to care a whole lot about the things that I have and, and what I own. But the truth of the matter is, is when someone dies, what do they have? Howard Hughes died and they asked him, what did he leave behind? And someone quickly answered, everything. Oh, excuse me. He, he still has one thing, a hole in the ground. It's really all you have when you die is you have a hole in the ground. The truth of the matter is the scripture is very clear and says something very interesting about this earth that we live in. And it's found in first, second Peter chapter three and verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. In other words, everything we call earth and everything in the earth, scripture says clearly it is going to dissolve. It's going to burn. Everything we have, every possession we have, all of our homes, all of our cars, all of our things will be dissolved. Now, with that in mind, I ask myself this question. Wow, that's a little bit discouraging. So, because I'm living for a lot of those things. I mean, as I see it, you know, that's, that's a big deal. People are building mansions and houses and things and we are accumulating things and, and we're hoarding things. And, and, and it's been said that. So many folks are concerned about how much they have that they tend to purchase storage compartments. In fact, one of the biggest businesses out there is to build storage units for people to store their stuff in. It's a huge market. They say if you build one, it'll fill up immediately and you'll get a monthly income from that. And somebody told me recently a lady has rented a storage unit from them for 23 years and never opened it up, but never missed a payment. All these things. People have so much, they can't even keep it in their home. So they have to purchase storage units so they can keep all their stuff that one day is going to burn. Maybe this is why, kids, I throw things away. <laughs> I'm a tosser, man. <laughs> and so let's ask ourselves a question lest we get discouraged. God, is there anything that lasts forever? Because I want to live for something that's going to last forever. I don't want to live for cars and houses and boats and things. If it doesn't live forever, God, tell me something that lives forever. And I am so glad to let you know I found two things. Two things that last forever. Number one, the word of God will last forever. Matthew 24, 35 very clearly says heaven and earth will pass away. Well, we found that out. But my words will not pass away. So therefore, anything that I do with the Word of God, if I read the Word of God, it'll last forever. If I memorize the Word of God, it'll last forever. Every minute I spend giving out the Word of God will last forever. Every dollar that I spend on giving the Word of God out, every time I support a cause that gets the gospel out, the Word of God out, that will last for all eternity. And so I get real excited about things like 
Kelsey going to the mission field or, or giving to missions. I get real excited about that. I mean, that's something that's very near to my heart because I know that if I give any money to get the word of God out, it'll last forever. Wow. That's cool. God, is there anything else that lasts forever? The human soul, God says, is the only other thing that will last forever. So think with me for just a moment. There was a time in human history where you did not exist. For instance, Mo told you about my new grandson. Notice I didn't say his son. It's my grandson, right? And so, so Mo and Susanna have, have given our family uh, a, a beautiful child by the grace of God. And I understand I say that knowing that God has done it all. But God has used them as human instruments to, to, to be parents again and to... And yet when I, when I saw little MJ, little Matthias, Andrea, Capace Jr., I realized that that little boy has not existed forever. There was a time when God breathed upon his mother's womb. And when God breathed upon his mother's womb, he was conceived and began to exist. And when he began to exist, he will never cease to exist. And neither will you. You will live forever. Everyone in this room will live somewhere forever. If you're saved, if you're born again, if you've been redeemed, you will live forever in heaven. But if you're lost, unsaved, still dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible's very clearly that you too will live forever, separated from God in a place called hell. So what is the value of one human soul? Every person in this room is obviously equally important to God because God has already shared with us scriptures such as he's not a respecter of persons. So we know that everybody in this building is equally important to God. So how much is one person worth? How much is one soul worth? Where to understand how much something is worth, you have to compare it to something. And so this morning, we're going to compare a soul to three things that Jesus did or three things that Jesus said. First of all, notice if you would in our text that Jesus said something. We're going to compare him, number one, to the statement that Jesus made when he said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus is ultimately saying in this passage of Scripture that one soul is worth more than the whole world and everything that is in the world and all that the world has to offer. One soul is worth more than the whole world. And to me, that's just unbelievable. Josiah, stand up for just a moment. Third row, Josiah. Not, not my Josiah, but Josiah Rubia. Come here, Josiah. Let me introduce you to a young man that is 12, 13 years of age. This is Josiah. According to Scripture, you, my friend, are worth more than the whole world. If you were the only person living on planet Earth... According to scripture, God says you are worth his son Jesus dying for. We got six billion people on planet earth, but God says I would have died for you if you were the only person to ever live. This guy's valuable. That's what scripture teaches. One person. 
And sometimes I wonder why I neglect understanding that as I go about life accumulating things for myself while I walk by people like Josiah that are worth more than the whole world. Thanks, Joe. So if we're looking at this statement that Jesus made and we're understanding that, 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 that there is something called a soul that is worth more than the whole world, here's my question. What is the world worth? Must be worth a lot. How do I figure that out? Well, I go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16 on the screen to find out what the world is worth. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, do you think he's talking about the world? Yeah, world, world, world. Now, by the way, he's not talking about the cosmos part of the world or the population of the world or even the materialism of the world. There's something more that Jesus is talking about here when he's speaking about loving not the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So here is what the world is worth for all that is in the world. Ah, what's in the world? Well, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life are in the world. So if I could figure out what the worth of the world is, I would need to figure out what the lust of the flesh, what the lust of the eyes, and what the pride of life is. Because all of those things are not of the Father. God doesn't care about those things. What they are of, though, is the world. And so, what is the lust of the flesh? The lust of the flesh is what I want to do. I mean, there's things that my flesh wants to do. And so if I could look at my life in the past and say everything that I've ever wanted to do, if I could look at my life in the present right now, as of today, and say everything in the present that I want to do, if I could look to the future and say, man, this is my bucket list, man. I mean, if I could just do this and do this and do this and do this and do this, man, I would be so happy. So everything, the lust of the flesh is, is things that I want to do in the past, in the present, in the future. And if I can live my whole life and do everything I've ever wanted to do in the past, in the present, in the future, I will have earned one third of the world. And now let's look at the lust of the eyes. This is obviously things that I want to have because my eyes want to have something. They desire something. For instance, when I go to the mall and I see a, something really cool, a good display, it's been presented in a way that is attractive. And so I look at it and I say to myself, man, do I have enough money to buy that? I want that. There's 1,500 cable television uh, channels in the world today. At least that's what I researched and found. There's about 1,500 television stations. Guess how many of those 1,500 are shopping networks? 750. Half of all the television stations in the world are saying... Look at what I have to buy, and, and here's how I'm going to present it. And I'm going to put a little timer here, and I'm going to tell you, you've got 60 seconds to get this, and there's only five left. How many of you think that's a little shaky? I don't know. I, I'm just, I, I think it's a little shaky, but it sure does work, doesn't it? It works. There's 750 of these stations, and man, it's appealing to the lust of the eyes, which is everything that I want to have. 30 seconds of advertising on Super Bowl Sunday cost you $5 million. Just write me a check for $5 million to give you 30 seconds. One of the most popular things about the Super Bowl is not the game, it's the commercials. I mean, they've made such a big deal of the commercials. Why? Because they know that 30 seconds of a Super Bowl is worth all the millions of eyes that will want what they show you for 30 seconds in exchange for $5 million because of the lust of the eyes. So if I could have, if Erica Pacey and his lifetime could have could have everything that I want in the past and everything that I want right now, which is a lot more than I have right now. I want a lot. 
I mean, man, my, my flesh wants more than I have. I mean, I don't know about your flesh, but I have to, I mean, my flesh wants, I, I see things. I want a nicer house, a nicer car, a nicer, I mean, if my flesh gets a hold of me, I could really, my eyes really could be appealing, uh, things could appeal to my flesh. And if I could have everything I've ever wanted to have in the future, then I would ha- have had now two-thirds of the world. I have everything I've ever wanted to do. I have everything I've ever wanted to have. And then the pride of life is everything I've ever wanted to be, to become. It's the pride of life. So you know what? I, I want to be more. I mean, so I look to the past and I think, what do I want to become? I look to the present. I think, what do I want to be right now? I look to the future. I say, what would I like to become in the future? And now I have achieved the world. I have everything, past, present, and future, I've ever wanted to have, I've ever wanted to do, I've ever wanted to become. And the Lord is saying that one soul is worth more than all of that. You say, well, yeah, yeah, Josiah, though, I mean, he's, he's like a really sharp kid. I mean, look, he's sitting with his parent, and he's in church, and I mean, he's, he, okay, well, yeah, but let's, let's go to the ghetto, man. let's go to the projects. If that's not all that impressive to you, let's go somewhere and let's find us a little kid. And his parents have been on drugs this morning, so he hasn't taken a bath in maybe a week. He's been neglected. He's eating food this morning out of a trash can. And he's not doing so well. In fact, more than likely, he'll be in the foster care system soon, looking for a home like one of ours in this church to live in. That's why I love our foster care ministry. So here comes this little kid, and the world doesn't think a whole lot of him, but here's what Jesus says. He's worth more than the whole world. Everything. One soul. What are you living for? What am I living for? What's important to me? What's important to you? You see, bringing someone to Jesus is one of the most important things that we could do. And Scripture says that the whole world is worth more It's not worth more, excuse me, than one soul. So number two, we look at the statement that Jesus made, but secondly, in trying to figure out what the soul of a worth, what what the value of a soul is, we look at the sacrifice that Jesus made. What kind of sacrifice did Jesus make for you and I? Well, this morning, I want you to know that God said he loved you so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for you. And every drop of blood and every ounce of pain that he experienced on the cross was for you. That's how much he loved you. And so if we're going to figure out what the value of a soul is, we have to not only look at the value of the world, but we have to look at the sacrifice that Jesus made when he died on the cross. And if you were the only person, again, to live on planet Earth, Jesus would have died for you. This is amazing to me. One of those powerful statements, I think, that's ever been, that I've ever heard about me personally is that God loves me so much that he would have, he would have, Sent his son just for me. That's the value of your soul. But there's a third thing we can compare it to. And that is the separation that a human soul will suffer if it never gets saved. The eternal separation that a human soul will suffer if it never receives Christ as his savior. Because there is a hell. Now I'm being told that that we don't need to hear that in church anymore. That's just too hard. I've been overwhelmed by the grace of God, but I'm not going to allow God's wonderful grace to dilute the scriptures because there's a hell. And hell is an awful place. 
In fact, Scripture very clearly teaches in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into this lake of fire where there were sulfur and the beast and the false prophets, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. And sometimes we look at a statement like that and we think, oh no, here comes the hellfire and brimstone. Man, I left that a long time ago. That's sad. We should never, ever leave the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which includes separation from God if a soul never gets saved. And may I never be guilty of being willing to preach a little hellfire and brimstone if it's in Scripture. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15 says that anyone's name not found written in the book of life was cast, was thrown into the lake of fire. It's a real place and I can't find anything in the Bible good about it. I've tried to find one good thing about hell. There is no grass in hell. There is no trees in hell. There are no flowers in hell. There is no blue skies in hell. There's no water in hell. There's no music in hell. There's no love in hell. There's no peace in hell. Eternal separation from God for a soul that does not get saved. Can I tell you, there is nothing that we could spend our life doing more valuable than helping someone get saved. Nothing. And I stand before you this morning guilty of, of, of not spending more time. I, 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 I seem to be more concerned this morning about me and the things that I have and my joy and my happiness than about one soul that needs Jesus. This morning it was so convicting. And I want to tell you this quick story. A, a, a young lady walked into the church. She was 19 years of age and she slipped in and, and some, uh, Desi brought her to me and said, Preacher, this is, uh, you got to meet this girl. Her name's Emily. She says she knows you. And I said, Emily, who are you? And she said, well, my mom is Elizabeth. And I said, Elizabeth Hernandez? And she said, yes. Elizabeth Hernandez and Claudia Carbajal and Digna Carbajal grew up together in Chicago. Elizabeth was 15 years of age when I first knocked on her door and invited her to come to church. And Elizabeth cussed me out. I mean, I told this with Emily here. She knew the story. Elizabeth cussed me out and she said, I don't go to church. We don't go to church. Her dad was a lost man. And so I... When you get cussed out, you know, it, 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 it does kind of give you the idea that maybe somebody doesn't want to listen, right? But I went back the next Sunday and knocked again. And she cussed me out again. I can't tell you why I kept going other than the fact that at that time I must have had a burden for souls like I, like I don't seem to have today. I'm confessing to you before my church. I went back six months in a row without fail to that door. Six months. I'll never forget the day Elizabeth walked out. She was 16. She had already celebrated another birthday. Elizabeth walked out and she was dressed for church with a Bible in her hand. And she said, and she's walking towards the bus. And I said, Elizabeth, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to church. I said, no, you're not. I mean, she had, she had said for six months she's not coming. She had cussed me out for six months. I was in total shock. And she said, I'm going to church. And I said, you don't go to church. And she said, well, I figure if you can knock on my door for six straight months, you deserve one chance. So here's your chance. And she walked right past me, a little sassy 16-year-old girl. Just, here's your chance. Exactly how it happened. She got on the bus. Claudia and Digna were saved at the time, and they came every Sunday. And Elizabeth got on the bus, and, man, I was so nervous because I wanted her to like it so bad. I remember 
that whole day in church, I was nervous because I couldn't go to church with her. I went to church in the main auditorium and she went to a, a teen church. And so I got back to the bus and, and I was loading the bus up with all of our kids. And there comes Elizabeth. And, and I remember I, was, I had a CDL driver, so I drove the bus and I looked at Elizabeth and I said, how'd you like it? And she said, I got saved. And I said, Elizabeth, that's amazing. And she said, yeah, and they tell me I need to come back tonight and get baptized. So will you pick me up tonight? I said, I'd love to. Elizabeth got baptized. She went to Bible college. She married a preacher. Today she's a preacher's wife, pastoring a church. Her daughter was in church this morning. And man, it was as if God said, I didn't change my message. I was preaching this message, but it, but it was as if God said, Eric, you could live your whole life. You could get everything you've ever wanted in the past, present, and future. You could have everything the world has to offer you, but you have done more to prove the importance of your existence and being alive today by, by that one soul than anything else you could ever accomplish. And I, honestly, I, I stand before you today telling you that this morning I'm allowing as a believer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, to bring back to my attention the value of a soul. One soul. One person who receives Jesus Christ as their Savior. One person who says yes to Jesus. I'll close with this illustration. I had a friend that told me this story, and it's an unusual story, but it illustrates so much what I'm trying to say. He said he deeply wanted to ask a question to somebody that was in prison for a life sentence. And he said he just, he just had this dream, and, 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 and the dream included asking two questions to someone who was in prison for life. But he couldn't find a way to get to a maximum security prison and be allowed to go in and ask those two questions. Every church he would preach in, he was an evangelist, every church he would preach in, he said he would ask the pastor of that church, hey, do you have anybody that works in a prison? And sometimes they would say yes, but it would never be in a prison where people were there for life until one particular revival meeting, the pastor said that they had a member of their church that was the head security in a maximum security prison. And he said, oh, really? He said, do you think I could get clearance to go in and talk to one of the inmates that's been, that's been sentenced to life? He said, well, let's check out. So he said, look, you're going to have to get cleared. You know, it's quite intensive. You've got to give me your license and this and this. And so he did all that stuff. And finally, he got cleared to go. During the revival meeting, he met the preacher at the front of the prison. And they walked him through the prison, shut the door and, you know, you can imagine the scene was probably as intense as, as you could imagine in your mind. Cold, clammy, steel, you know, the noises were, you know, kind of never-ending as you walked down these corridors. And he said the maximum security guy walked him down several cells until finally they reached the cell where he put the key in it. And there was one man sitting in a small little three-by-six room with a toilet, a little window, and a small bed. And he said, here's your inmate that's agreed for you to ask him two questions. He's the only one that would agree to have a preacher come and ask him two questions. So he walks into prison little cell and he closes the door behind him and locks the key. And the maximum security guy says he stands there until he asks his two questions. So he sits down on the little bed next to this inmate that's in prison for life for murder. And he looks at the man and he says... I've got two questions I want to ask you real quickly. And he said, well, go ahead. What's the first question? And he said, how do you count time? He said, oh, that's easy. He pulled out from underneath his little 
bed, a piece of paper, a notebook, and he said, here's how I count time. You see that window? Every time the sun goes up and the sun goes down, I mark a day. And every time I mark seven, six days, I take one line and mark it through, that's a week. And then every time I get four of those, I circle it, that's a month. And then I go, and he turned 37 pages. He said, I've been here 37 years, so many months, so many weeks, and so many days. He goes, that's how I count time. Next question. He said, my second question is, why do you bother? Why do you bother? You're here for life. Why do you count time? He said, oh, I got an easy answer for that one too, sir. He said, you see, I really believe that one of these days, I'm getting out. I'm getting out of this place. And he said, thanks, that's all I have. He walks out of his cell, he reunites with that maximum security uh, guard, and they walk down the prison and outside, and he says, that was weird, why did you ask those two questions? He looked at the evangelist, and tears were streaming down his eyes, and he says, my worst fears were true. And he said, what do you mean? He said, you see, the only difference between that man sitting in a maximum security cell and a man burning in hell is that man still has hope, but somebody in hell has no hope. They'll never get out, it's for all eternity. And this morning, I I ask you, what, what is your life being lived for today? What are we doing to help keep people out of hell? I can tell you this morning, as I think about the offerings we gave this morning to Kelsey, we, that's not wasted money. That's money that's going to go to help a young lady to spread the gospel somewhere to a little child in a classroom in Thailand where you and I would never get to go. So whatever you're going without this week in this life that was going to burn anyway, that was a good investment. I came home yesterday and guess what I did? I, te- I did the smart thing. I texted my daughter-in-law and said, what do you want for dinner? Listen, when people have babies, they get whatever they want. You know what she said? The most expensive pizza in town, DeLucas. You know what she got? DeLucas. I called, I had my uh, son called Chloe day who was working. Chloe said, preacher, we can have you two pizzas made by six o'clock. I said, make them, get them ready. And two cannolis. Hallelujah. I'd sold me some books at this last meeting I just went to, so I had a little extra cash. I walked in there. She said, $65 for two large pizzas. Hallelujah. I ripped three twenties out in a $5 bill. I slammed it on that table as proud as a father-in-law as you could imagine. I drove back to my house so proud that my daughter-in-law was going to get to sink her teeth into some DeLuca's pizza because that's what she wanted. That's what she got. And she can have it again tonight if she wants. I mean, I'm glad I spent that money on my daughter-in-law, and I think it was a good investment. But can I tell you? I'm glad this morning I gave more to missions than I gave to DeLuca's Pizza. Because though it made my daughter happy for a moment, satisfied a longing she had after having that little child... The money I gave in that offering this morning to spread the gospel across this world was a better investment. And sometimes I think we get so caught up in things, which I'm not against things, but I wonder, what do we spend our money on? What do we give our money to? And is potentially these giving testimonies, is there value in hearing from someone share from their heart? What are we giving our time, our efforts, our monies to? Is it all or mainly about us and me and mine and things, and what I want, and what I, what I have, and what I want to become, or is it about souls? And so this morning, I, I just don't think you can preach on a, on a, on a song entitled Never Enough without, without bringing us to an intense moment of response. What are you living for? 
What are you doing with your life? What am I doing with my life? If you're here today and you've never been saved, I've got some good news. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And all you need to do to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior is understand three things. Number one, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And we need to understand that we are in need of something because of our sin. And I've got some good news. Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. That's number two. And you need to understand that Jesus died on the cross for you. And if you were the only person living on this earth, Jesus would have died for you. The third thing you need to understand is it demands a response from you. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I, I understand that. I believe that without responding to it, without accepting Jesus. It's not some little prayer you pray, but it's an acknowledgement that that you're turning from your sin. You're repenting of your sin. You're turning to Jesus and saying yes to Jesus. I accept what you did for me on the cross as payment for my sin. And, and I want you to be my savior. Christ is enough. Not my works, not my church, not my good works, not, not the things that make me look good. But Jesus, it is only you that can save me. And when you come to that realization and respond that way, Jesus says, your name's now written in the Lamb's book of life. And that verse no longer applies to you. How important is that? If you're here today, you've never been saved. In just a moment, we're going to give an opportunity for you to, to come forward and just acknowledge to one of us up front that you've made that decision this morning. In this service. And then maybe others that need to come and pray. Christians who have trusted Christ. Maybe you've been saved. But you, you're going to ask yourself the question this morning with, with great honesty. What are you living for? Is it all about you or is it about others? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of Jesus? And are we putting God first? It's a great, great opportunity for us to come to a place where we acknowledge our need of not only being saved. But our need of helping others to be saved. When's the last time you... Introduce somebody to Jesus. It's a good, healthy question for all of us. So let's bow our heads for just a moment. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed as our musicians come up. I want to just ask our congregation this morning to pray as to what it is that God is speaking to your heart about. And this is something that maybe needs to change and something that needs to become more important. Do you need to put a higher value on souls than you've placed on souls? Is there something more important to you than the soul of a, of a man who does not know Christ? Well, let's, let's elevate our desire to want to win souls and tell others about Jesus today. May that become something that we begin to put a priority on in our finances and I looked at our missions and I, I, I kind of saw it tilting in a direction that was not in a plus but a minus. And I thought, oh God, give us a burden for that. Help us to see that as something we can help in by just giving a little bit to our missionaries all over the world preaching the gospel. I love you. So today I just give you the opportunity as God would lead you to come and kneel and pray and seek the face of God. It's never enough. If you live for this world, you'll never find satisfaction. But if you give your heart to Christ, you'll find, finally, He's enough. Father, bless this invitation. Use this passage of Scripture, these illustrations, the song, the truth, the message, to draw us to a place of response and, 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 and decision. And I pray that if there's anybody in this place that has never trusted you as their Savior, that today would be the day. God, bring them to you, Father. Please, draw them to you. And I ask you, Father, that those of us that are saved, that 
God, we would get a greater burden. We want to tell others about what you've done for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus that is that has been made available to us so easily here in America. May we be faithful to distribute it, to get it out, to invest in it. God, help us, Lord, to see the value of a soul as we've never seen it before. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Shall we stand?